0: Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us for what I hope will be a very interesting and informative discussion today around some of the latest data in rheumatology. My name's Professor Peter Nash from Griffith University in beautiful downtown Brisbane. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Mark Russell, who's a clinical research fellow at the Centre for Rheumatic Diseases, King's College in London. He's still reeling from the cricket where the Australians are <coughs> two nil up in the ashes, but we'll talk about that later. Thank you for joining me today, Mark, to discuss it's your here. paper that was published in mm-hmm. Annals of Diseases. The paper is available with um, slides and things on the CSF website. We'll talk about that later. This paper looks at a very important issue, and that, following oral surveillance, is the question of malignancy and the incidence of malignancy in with Jack inhibition compared to placebo. TNF inhibitors, and methotrexate, and it comes from a meta-analysis across disease indications. So before we start, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work, and what your interests are?
1: So thank you very much, and thank you for uh, having me on today. So, I, so I'm um, uh, Mark Russell. I'm a, uh, an NIHR doctoral fellow uh, and rheumatology, uh, specialty registrar at King's College London, and um, uh, so my background is looking primarily at big data uh, across uh, different fields, so um, uh, both pharmacovigilance, so for example, what we looked at here um, for uh, JAK inhibition, uh, also looking at how you improve care for people with inflammatory arthritis, uh, and particularly crystal arthritis. Um, so we've, we've got links at the centre with the National Early Inflammatory Arthritis Audit Uh, for example. But this was a particular uh, area of interest for both myself and uh, my uh, colleague, Dr. Galloway. And so we wanted to look at all the body of evidence and try and see uh, whether the results of oral surveillance were borne out when we looked across multiple disease indications.
0: Excellent. And I'm not sure that you could answer, but can you get a feel for what's happened to the Jack market since oral surveillance? Has there been a big change in prescribing?
1: So I think it probably varies somewhat, well, certainly by country, but somewhat even within region, uh, within, within the, I mean, in, in our sort of local region, there's certainly more caution uh, following the EMA, the FDA and the MHRA warnings. I think you certainly have to be more cautious when discussing with patients, making sure you've been through, uh, you know, the key findings of oral surveillance and uh, other studies as well. Um, I think that you now have to provide more justification as to why, say, an alternative um, mode of action, you know, targeted therapy or um, biologic wouldn't necessarily be appropriate or why JAK inhibition is the correct treatment. So I think whereas before we were increasingly prescribing, you know, in many cases in the UK is second line following TNF, uh, that may be the case in some patients. But now I think there's a lot more requirement for justification um, following on from the data.
0: And do you think that um, the, well, when we go through that EMA restriction, over 65 lifelong smokers or current smokers, and then this nebulous at risk of malignancy. I mean, what does that really mean? We're all at risk of malignancy. Indeed, Um, yeah. And does that mean colonic polyps? Does that mean Barrett's esophagus? Does that mean whatever? That's why your paper is so important. So can you tell us a little bit for those who aren't statistically minded, how one does a network meta-analysis and pairwise
1: whatever else that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So the first step is to get all the data together. So we did a systematic literature search um, across uh, of Jack inhibition across all disease, in, well, the majority of licensed disease indications, and not just rheumatoid, but arthritis, psoriasis, inflammatory bowel disease, even atopic dermatitis, to try and make sure we have all as much data available, bearing in mind that malignancies are rare events. And then once you have that data and you've extracted it, you then need to pull the results uh, across the different arms. So for a pairwise uh, meta-analysis, you look at only data where there are direct comparisons. So say for example, Jack inhibition versus placebo or Jack versus methotrexate, uh, you use your statistical preferred statistical package and it uh, pulls the uh, instant rates Comparing those sort of direct trials and gives you a pooled incident rate ratio uh, that gives you an idea of um, sort of an effect size for within that. Now the benefit of network meta-analysis is we don't, for example, have direct um, uh, sort of from those particular comparisons of other um, uh, different groups, and this allows you with network meta-analysis to do indirect comparisons based on studies that had, for example. Jack and methotrexate, Jack and placebo. Uh, and so you get an indication of, and, and this was particularly helpful for ours, where we wanted to see of the included studies, when you compare TNF and placebo, was there any difference in malignancy incidence? Because by having that information, you can then sort of at least hypothesize as to why we saw an increased incidence of malignancy with Jack versus uh, TNF. And so that is why network meta analysis in particular is very helpful.
0: So you had 62 eligible RCTs and 16 long-term extensions. You have something like 82 and a thousand person years of exposure to the JAK, but only 3,000 person years to placebo, 8,000 to TNF, and 1,000 to methotrexate. Now, if you have that difference in person years of exposure, is it going to make a bias for or against one group or the other?
1: So that, that's a really good point, and this is always a, a problem when you're meta-analyzing RCT data, where often, particularly the placebo arms, uh, are both shorter and sort of less abundant in terms of person years of exposure. I think the, the bigger issue, actually, uh, as well as the amount of, sort of person years of follow-up, is length of follow-up. So for placebo... Um, the duration of follow of the mean duration was around 20 weeks or the median duration. Whereas for jack inhibition in the meta analysis, it was about 120 weeks. And because malignancies are long latency events and take time to emerge uh, that may favor the shorter duration. So in many cases, uh, we were somewhat concerned through a potential bias that we may see a signal of harm with jack inhibition compared with placebo for that reason alone. But actually, somewhat reassuringly, um, we, we, that was one of the primary reasons we separated out analyses of just RCT data, and then also including the long term extension data where you might expect more events to accumulate with jack inhibition. But when you look at those comparisons of jack versus placebo, in both those two uh, groups, there was no significant difference. So that suggests that at least that potential bias probably didn't have a big clinically mean, meaningful impact on it. But you're absolutely right. That is a big limitation when looking at RCT data.
0: And what about dose? Because in oral surveillance, they lump the 5BD with the 10BD, a dose we don't use. It's used in IBD, but we don't use it. Now, is that going to bias? No. Can you clarify when you do in meta-analysis and look at the smaller dose, the higher dose, same with fulgotinib same with baricitinib?
1: Mm. Yeah, and that's another thing. And you know, increasingly well during the study, ten BD was noted to be the dose of potential harm, uh, in particular. And uh, so we wanted to try and account for that. So we did a sensitivity analysis whereby we excluded higher doses. Uh, we we specifically excluded ten milligrams twice daily for tofacitinib but also the higher dose of upadacitib, so thirty milligrams once daily, where again there had been some concern of a potential signal. Uh, it didn't make any difference to our Primary results. So it it suggests that, you know, the problem is you're then getting down to smaller numbers of events, but I think it's an important sensitivity analysis to do and it didn't change our primary findings.
0: Okay, that sounds good. And the other thing is um, we talked about dosage, we talked about duration on drug. Uh, I was thinking about background expected rate in an RA population to give you an anchor to compare the numbers with? For example, TNF might have less than Jax, but both might have less than RA untreated. Mm -hmm.
1: That's a really good question. So I have to say to be entirely honest, I don't know what the absolute incidence rate in a background RA population is. Uh, What I can say, certainly, and I think this is an important message uh, that we try to emphasize in the paper is that the absolute incidence rate, even across all the different arms, was low relatively low so around one or just over uh, event per hundred person years of exposure Uh, and you're right you know particularly in oral surveillance it was enriched for uh, a population who will be uh, certainly at risk of malignancy Uh, we didn't just limit our analyses to that particular population but again I think when we do you're absolutely right when we're having discussions with patients it's very easy to sort of focus a lot on the the relative risk, but actually the absolute incidence rate was uh, was was modest um, across the different arms.
0: Um, and I think that's pretty critical because we've um, we've seen publications from Melbourne that methotrexate by itself triples the background rate of non melanoma skin cancer. We've seen Humira studies published that adalimumab increases background rate of non melanoma skin cancer. Um, we saw a signal with TOFA previously, and that was um, written into the uh, consensus use of JAK inhibitors, the important point of um, a signal for non-melanoma skin cancer. Have you taken a good look at oral surveillance? Because even though the event rates are very low, there was more melanoma on the TNF side than the TOFA side. There was more prostate cancer on the TNF side than the TOFA side but a clear difference in non-melanoma skin cancer, 13 to 2, TOFA versus the TNF. So tell us what um, the characteristics of your study and some of the results of what you found, and in particular, um, the breakup of malignancies. If you take skin cancer out, if you leave it in, and melanoma as well as non-melanoma skin cancer.
1: Yeah, and this was something we we really wanted to look at because of that the particular concern about non melanomatous skin cancers. So, whereas our primary finding was bringing all cancers together, we did uh, separate analyses looking at all solid organ cancers or uh, all cancers excluding NMSC, and then non-melanoma skin cancers only. Now, um, the the primary findings were similar. Whether you excluded or included those, but I would say if you look at the the numbers in the paper, it seemed like the signal for harm was greater with non-melanoma skin cancers. So, uh, particularly when we're looking at JAK versus TNF, um, the um, incident rate ratios were towards greater harm for non-melanoma skin cancers than they were for if you excluded those from your analyses. Um, and I think, you know, there's been similar. data. So there's a, a great study published recently of registry data, the artist that, uh, registry from Sweden, that showed a similar thing. At least that was predominantly barocytinib in their registry. But again, it was the signal of potential harm was for non-melanoma to skin cancers rather than uh, solid organ uh, tumours. Um, the other interesting question always is with hematological cancers and lymphoma, um, this is something we did try and meta-analyse uh, separately. But because there are very few events, um, it, it is difficult to do so, and you, you would end up with very wide confidence, confidence intervals. And that's the same true of individual solid organ cancers. So ideally, and maybe in years to come, we'll be able to pick out is there a particular solid organ malignancy that, uh, incidence rate that's different. But at present, the confidence intervals are too wide. And also many studies still don't adequately break down uh, by cancer type, or they're sort of heterogeneous in how they do that, which makes it very difficult to pull the results. Can you give us a
0: feel? Like we look for relative risk differences, and they look like 50% and 30% and 25 But what's the absolute risk difference? So if the risk of melanoma, I live in the skin cancer capital of the world, so we're very attuned to melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancer, and all our patients get formal skin checks at least once a year, and their GP is all over it regularly. So just give us a feel for the absolute difference. If it's one in 100 risk of non-melanoma skin cancer and, and T- TOFA increases it or Jax increases it to 1.35 in 100, no one's going to get too upset. But if it's, you know, if it's 25 going to 45 or something, then people justifiably get upset. So can you give us a feel for the absolute risk?
1: So not ter- melanoma and melanoma, yeah.
0: and even those solid cancers.
1: Yeah, so that's a good point. So I, I can't give you the exact, I would, could certainly uh, easily calculate it, but haven't it this way, but I, I, we, did, we did briefly look at it. And if I remember correctly, and I wouldn't necessarily quote me on this, um it was uh, if i remember correctly the number needs to harm would be about one in 200 but i would have to double check that and, uh, and don't quote me necessarily on that but i think that's the point although the relative uh, risk difference was was uh, you know could be seen it was 1.5 for say uh, tnf versus sorry jap versus tnf the absolute e- event difference will be will be relatively small um but again you know this is without long long term follow up data and uh, often uh, the potential concern is with younger people when we're treating increasingly younger people with active rheumatoid, let's say with Jack inhibition, we, we often need that longer term follow-up data to help really inform that. But I think that's where registry data will be very important. So I would need to cal- I'll need to calculate that. But yes, I, I, I suspect it's relatively small in terms of absolute increase.
0: Only because the number of events is so low, it makes it important. And also that your conclusion, which we'll come to in a second, um, you know, if a rumor just looks at the headline and doesn't read the rest, they say Jax cause cancer, end of story, rather than Jax increase the risk of non melanoma skin cancer, end of story. <clears throat> so let's just clarify that a little. Everyone's very concerned about lymphomas. Did you see any lymphoma signal with the Jacks compared to the other drugs?
1: So we looked at that. Um, We can't really draw uh, um, a particular because the events were too rare. So we do present the absolute incident rates, but they are low uh, across all different arms. And so a comparison between them is uh, the confidence intervals are too wide. But I agree exactly with what you say there. If you just look at the headline, first sentence of conclusion, it looks concerning. I think when you look at the uh, the supporting data, and that actually. Um, for JAK versus placebo and JAK versus methotrexate, there was no significant difference in malignancy risk. That's somewhat reassuring. And then additionally, as we've said, the the absolute incident rate of malignancy is low across all groups. And so I think that's important context. And of course this was driven, the primary result of uh, JAK versus TNF potentially causing harm uh, is driven by one large study. uh, And that was enriched for the, the event of interest. When you excluded that from the analysis, um, there was a potential sort of trend towards harm still, but that wasn't was no longer statistically significant. Um, and I think that's that's an important thing to take as well is that this is driven primarily, at least the Jack versus TNF comparison, by a very large uh, post market surveillance study that have a, that had a different aim than all the other included studies.
0: Okay. Right. And did you see any difference between Jacks?
1: So we looked at that. So, so we individually we pairwise meta analysed uh, them individually. Uh, and no, we, we saw no um, statistically significant difference between Jack and placebo, individual Jacks and placebo when analyzing them separately. Um, uh, and so the answer to that would be no. But again, when you, these are rare events and you have quite wide confidence intervals. So you would need more data to be absolutely certain of that. But at least in the data we had, we didn't see that one particular, particular Jack was more harmful than another compared with placebo.
0: So just reassuring a little about the other solid cancers, Mm -hmm. breast and prostate, and then melanoma itself.
1: Mm. So we don't have the data uh, sufficiently uh, granular data to analyse by by drug uh, by cancer type. So we that was something we collected data on, uh, but either studies not all studies reported or broke them down sufficiently, or there was different ways in which they did, uh, despite them trying to. Uh, Homogenise that through things like clinical trials, gov. but also the number of events, uh, even for the the bigger cancers, were, were were relatively rare, and so it made it difficult to do that.
0: Okay. And um, anything else from your results that you want to report on to help the clinician with the patient sitting in front of them?
1: So I think uh, I think my sort of. A key take-home thing would be that you know one way of interpreting this is that you look at the headline and you think, well, Jack is harmful versus TNF. I think probably our take-home I and what we hypothesised is that uh, it's it's possibly more likely that Jack the effect of Jack on malignancy is neutral, whereas at least with the data that we included for TNF versus placebo, it was potentially protective. So it's more that it's perhaps less protective than TNF. Uh, in terms of malignancy in these data. So I think that's important. I mean, we don't, we can't draw very firm conclusions on that and only future data will show. Um, but I think from an in, interest perspective, so there was a similar picture with TNFs in the early years. When they first came out, there was a big concern about the risk of malignancy with early meta-analyses. And then as more data accumulates, particularly observational data, it sort of shifted the other way in, in recent years uh, there have been some studies, particularly from uh, East Asia, showing that the risk of malignancy is lower with TNF than with placebo. And it may be every time that we see a similar thing. But until we have that registry data, it's hard to know. But I think the bottom line is they are relatively rare events. It's very important to discuss that and say that there are, you know, obviously these warnings. Uh, but at least on the basis of this, uh, it didn't show any new signal of harm. And it, in, somewhat, in some ways, it was quite reassuring that there didn't appear to be a signal versus met- methotrexate or placebo.
0: So we have to recall, remember that no patient with a history of malignancy within 10 years ever gets into a clinical trial.
1: Yeah.
0: The, the highest risk um, probably aren't in. You probably won't be able to identify the number of people who these people develop a cancer whilst in the study, mm-hmm. and they would have dropped out mainly or some continued on drug
1: anyway. But so that... melanoma skin cancers would have continued on drug, I suppose yeah so that's an interesting point so we can't say whether they dropped out during study necessarily but what we can do you're absolutely right that's an important thing from a methodological perspective is that either people will have been screened people who have symptoms in keeping with malignancy at trial entry will have been screened out um and then the cancers develop over time and that again favors shorter duration um study arms but what we did do is another analysis where we excluded cancers that occurred within six months of uh treatment allocation again, to account for a potential sort of induction where people may have had cancer at the time of study entry and then developed it during that process. But even when we excluded those cancers that occurred within the first six months, it didn't change our, uh, our, our findings. So this is not necessary just to say that there was a difference in people who had cancer at entry. These tended to occur over time as well. Uh, and when we even when we excluded early cancers, it didn't make any difference to our primary findings. Because there have been a couple of registry studies,
0: the STAR-RA, Coravitis, and they couldn't show a difference in malignancy rates with um, TOFA in particular. And again, just remind me, there was no dose effect that you saw as oral surveillance also did not see a dose effect for malignancy, and the number needed to treat were were a few hundred for one event over a year. So is that fair? No dose
1: effect to show an increased risk? not when we yeah so when when we excluded the higher doses we didn't see it dramatically change our um our event rates or our effect sizes so at least in our analysis we didn't see that um, i think as i mentioned before the 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 new registry data so uh, well uh, emerging registry data from sweden that was on baricitinib did um that was again so i, I can't know what doses they include within that but that again there was a signal farm potentially well for non melanoma skin cancers Uh, But there was one interesting analysis that looked at um, safety of upidacitinib in sort of an integrated safety analysis. So looking all across all their trial program. And with that, the potential signal of harm was with upidacitinib, 30 milligrams. uh, Hence, why we made a decision to exclude that. But again, when we did exclude, it it didn't appear to change our um, uh, events. But we have to bear in mind that when you start excluding, the number of events become even smaller. Uh, so there's a slight caveat with that, but it, at least in our analysis, it didn't change what we found.
0: And can you postulate any mechanism of action why Jack might increase non-melanoma skin cancer or solid or other cancers in particular?
1: Yeah, so that that's that is something we, we certainly looked into. Um, so probably the the more the most convincing mechanism that I found, having looked through things, was an effect on NK cell mat- maturation. Uh, also tumour lysis capacity as well and there's been both uh, well primarily in vitro studies that looked at that and that also showed that um there did appear to be a differential jack effect on that so it seemed that in vitro tofacitinib had a greater impact on nk cell uh function which is important for a sort of anti-tumor surveillance um and so that mechanistically sort of seems quite nice an explanation but again there's, because it's so complex in terms of jack stat signaling that would be very simplistic just to say that it was just one thing causing that. So I think it's more likely to be multiple different pathways. Some pro-inflammatory, so, so pro-malignancy. Some uh, um, sort of against malignancy. And you know, again, it's important. We know that active RA or active inflammation can promote cancer. So if we are adequately treating that through efficacious treatment such as jack inhibition, that is likely to drive down the risk of certain malignancies, particularly lymphoma. Um, and so there are likely to be multiple things pulling in different directions. Um, but NK cell uh, sort of inhibition was one thing that particularly stood out when we looked through the literature.
0: And that's important because I think the JAKs have differential effects on NK cells. So I
1: exactly. are
0: a little bit more likely to knock NK cell numbers um, and the more selective or preferred JAK1 inhibitors, maybe not so much effect on um, on NK cells. So that might turn out to be quite critical. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I was thinking about something else. Let's So it, to wrap it up, to summarize, um, the event rates are very low. We should have a think about the background rate. Mm-hmm. We should understand that there's no differences between Jax and methotrexate, Jax and placebo, for all malignancies, even including non-melanoma, mm-hmm. and you showed a difference, Jackson TNFs, and that difference was really driven by non-melanoma skin cancer. Yet, anything else that you'd like to take as a take-home message for the practicing clinician to think about? Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Would you have seen if a combination, Jack plus methotrexate versus Jack alone, had any difference in
1: risk? um so we we included studies that did have background stable methotrexate within that um the 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 usual comparison of course would be jack versus jack plus methotrexate versus methotrexate alone um and we included those studies the other ones we included obviously were jack versus methotrexate monotherapy so the earlier studies Uh, and they were all included within it and they, they didn't change our sort of primary findings but you're right you know when we're very hard to pick out. I think that is a key take on It just shows methodologically how difficult it is to separate uh, people who've had exposure to previous targeted synthetics or, or, or biologics or conventional DMARDS, people who are at different stages in their disease, which might be why over time we are seeing perhaps in a protective effect of TNF now that we are treating people more aggressively and they haven't had multiple lines of therapy uh, over many years. Whereas in the earlier studies, this used to be sort of last-ditch last therapy and we're treating people better. And so I think that methodologic makes it very challenging to separate out, as you say, uh, difference between different drugs. But certainly in ours, when we looked at, at, say, uh, JAP versus methotrexate or JAP versus placebo, and that would include people who had stable background methotrexate, it didn't change that primary finding of no significantly different risk of malignancy between those two groups. And where are you going to take this
0: research in the future? What's what's the next step to try and help, help the clinician?
1: So I, the key, I think, is, is uh, real-world data. And what we're hoping to do, and we're in the process of uh, starting to look at that, is to look at some of our, in, in England at least, we're fortunate to have some very big um, real-world data sets. So, so data sets such as Open Safety, where you've got up to 99% of the, the England's population within that. And I think you need that sort of number of patients to start seeing those differences in rare events. The key will obviously be duration of follow-up too. And I think over the next year or two, we're hoping to look at particular malignancy event rates, VTE and MACE event rates with JAK inhibitors and other um allergies. So that's what we're hoping to look at soon. And only then, I think, can you really tease out whether there's a particular cancer or whether actually the, the, there is no effective JAK on uh, malignancy. And to, to finish, do you think
0: the uh, EMA was correct to say that anyone at risk of cancer should not take a jack, or should that really have been people with recurrent non-melanoma skin cancer should be careful
1: yeah I think I think because there was a signal of harm seen also when you excluded non-melanoma skin cancers it would be very hard for them not to do an across the board across the cancers let's say warning um, I think they always err on the side of of extreme caution hence why they've done it I do think it makes our job somewhat more somewhat more difficult in that we have such an efficacious class of drugs that we were using very frequently, and now we're certainly it can't do anything but make you somewhat more cautious. Uh, so I think it makes our job harder. But they they, they off, you know it's not unexpected that they've heard on the side of extreme caution. I think, but hopefully with more data, we can refine that uh, whether it's a class effect, whether it's individual drug, remains to be seen. So very
0: important and keep working away to help clarify this very important issue, because whether we like it or not, Jax are here to stay. Yeah. Be, last time I checked clinicaltrials.gov, there was 270 trials going on for Jax oral, Jax intranasal, Jax inhaled, Jax topical, across every different disease that you can. And because I live in the Asia Pacific, where people can't afford more than four weeks of any treatment, (laughs) there are now four generic TOFAs, two generic Barrys, two generic OOPAs. And when treatment is cheap, you can treat people who have RA that can't afford treatment. So we can't afford to let this group of drugs disappear um, so, we really have to learn how to use them very safely. And the more we can learn about risk and benefit, the better for everybody. So, thank you very much for your time, Mark. Greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. I'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month. You can get detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at cytokinesignaling.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast media. We're very keen for you to have some feedback. Send us some feedback. Let us know what you think. And we greatly appreciate your time. Thanks very much, Mark.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on.
0: All the best. I think you're doing well in Heading League.
1: (laughs) Hopefully. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers now.